Unlocking the secret to better parenting. This is Growing Pains on the Light Breakfast. And today we're with Pamita Jayawardner, a senior case supervisor at Autism Link. Pam, you know, autism's often misunderstood and terms come and go and what's correct and what's not correct. So I wonder if you could sort of tell us what we should be using when we talk about autism and how it's defined. Um, so generally when we refer to someone who has autism, we, we say it's a person with autism or a child with autism or someone with ASD, um, that would be sort of the respectful way to say it. Um, and what it is or what autism uh, spectrum disorder is, is actually, it's a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder that causes, you know, significant impairments in communication and, um, social skills behave and there's like behavioral challenges and i mean in a nutshell basically individuals with asd they think and they learn in ways that are different from others and um exactly as the name states it's a spectrum disorder right so no two individuals with autism are the same i mean they have their own unique set of strengths and their unique set of challenges and um so they're basically very special individuals Mm-hmm. Um, now, early intervention makes a huge difference. Why is this so important, uh, Pam? Okay, so early intervention basically means that um, you start intervention at a really young age, right? So we start from as early as maybe two to three years old. And this is really important because you want to capitalize on their potential for learning, right? Like a young child, their brain is still forming and they develop really quickly. So what we want to do is we want to make the developmental gap smaller. So we help them learn the skills that they need to sort of close the gap with a neurotypical child. Mm -hmm. And so when you start earlier, um, you know, research has shown that sometimes you have better or longer long-term outcomes, basically. And, um, you know, you see significant gains in like communication and social interactions, cognitive abilities, even behavioral improvements as well and the other thing about studying really young is parents as well they can learn earlier on how to help their child instead of sort of being frustrated for a longer period of time not knowing what they can do mm. so yeah that makes a huge difference so we we've heard that two years uh, two two and a half years seems to be the number that pops up quite often yeah. um and is it correct that that is about the earliest that you can start making an investigation into uh, yeah, whether... Yeah, so about 18 months is usually when you can see some very clear signs. Um, some signs even earlier. So like at six months, some parents notice that, you know, their child has no um, responses or eye contact, um, that those kind of things. Um, but yeah, the clearest or the youngest would be, I suppose, around 18 months or so. Okay. Um, when I see it, yeah. Right. Okay. Having said that, just adding on to sort of this idea of early intervention, if, say, a child were to come to any kind of therapist at an older age, right? There is there still the possibility of of, of reaching sort of potential milestones and stuff. Of course, definitely. Um, It's not to say that you have to start between the ages of like two to five or three to five. It's just that it's better for the child in terms of progress or how fast we can teach the child something. Mm -hmm. But of course, like for parents who start their kids at like six or seven or even 10, for example, 
we can always teach the child something and try to help them best achieve their potential. It's really about, um, I suppose, the rate of learning in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is very specific to the individuals because, as, as I said, it's a spectrum, right? So some individuals, even though they start later, their learning is a lot faster and they're a lot more capable mm -hmm. of picking up new skills. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's early intervention is important, but it's not the only thing that counts. Okay, well, I wonder if we can talk about interventions and how the focus and goalposts change as they grow up into adults. So, you know, right. from kindy right up until early adulthood. Okay, so um, basically interventions, um, like such as ours, ABA therapy, right? It's done one-to-one -one, um, and the goals change as the needs of the child changes, right? As the child grows up. And you also need to sort of take into account the input of the parents, the concerns of the parents, um, as well as age appropriate skills. And also what each child is sort of capable of doing, um, like, cause it's a spectrum, right? So for example, a child who is between the age of three to five, getting ready for kindergarten, for example, you might focus on more sort of school readiness skills, right? Learning how to sustain attention, being able to follow a group, um, learning basic social skills, how to make friends, how to hold a pencil. Um, and then you have an older uh, individ individual, maybe like a young teen, like about 13 years old, who's, you know, may or may not be in school. Um, if just say they have not uh, pursued something academically for the child, then you know, you have things like community skills, like learning how to use money, right? Um, being able to look for the toilet in a public place, learning how to use a toilet independently, or um, how to use a phone, how to text and call when you need to communicate with someone, how to sustain a conversation, right? So that would be for someone who's a bit older. And then you have adults. Um, and that would also, I suppose, depend on, like I say, capability and where they are on the spectrum, because you have... Um, adults with mild autism who can sort of have a job and so their goals are different right and assuming this is an adult who couldn't further the academic ac uh, education so then you would have to look at um, you know can they look after their personal needs independently are they able to shower on their own can they make simple meals you know some of them have learned how to shop for example for their own clothes um, order and pay at a restaurant you know so things like grocery shopping those things are really important for an adult to sort of know how to do to be sustainable um, in you know day-to-day -day life and like things like chores as well like things to help make their lives more meaningful so things like hobbies um, gardening art computer games like all of that helps to you know for them to occupy themselves more meaningfully so, so you've touched a little bit on, um, therefore, the, the possibilities after they've gone through uh, um, some sort of training or some yeah. help systems. Um, could you expand a little bit more on the types of possibilities and the potentials that can be tapped? Uh, and also, you, you mentioned what the parents want. Now, how does that factor in? So um, that's actually a really important factor because um, at the end of the day, the parents are the are the people who are responsible for this child, right? So the direction that we take, um, the types of programs that we do um, takes, or the one of the things that we, the biggest things we take into account is if the parents are agreeable and if they're okay. Yes, these are things we, we recommend as, as clinicians or as, as therapists, but are they on board with what we want to teach, right? So in terms of tapping the potential and seeing possibilities, I mean, 
like interventions like ABA, um, you know, we work on all areas of development. So it's not just speech or it's not just motor skills. Like we work on communication skills, social skills, language development, um, self-help, problem solving. So all areas of development are worked on and it's customized to what each child needs. So we don't just group all kids together and try to teach everyone the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what makes it uh, what makes it really important. And because it's customized and one-to-one, you can tap each individual child's potential, basically. And um, they can get the help that they need and to take the path that, you know, is most suited to them. So whether it's going to mainstream school, whether it's going to mainstream school with like, you know, SEN support, for example, um, or just continuing with one-to-one intervention until they're older. I mean... Um, the fact that they get the help that they need or they they enroll in some form of intervention is the most important thing, I think. You you were saying, uh, you know, about parents and sort of what they want. Is that also a part of um, one of the challenges per se in terms of um, it's not so much about what the child or the young adult can or can't do, but it's about what the parents are willing to allow them to do because they want to protect and keep their, their kids safe. That's actually um, a really good question because um, sometimes I think one of the hardest things or one of the biggest challenges for us is actually to manage expectations. Um, so yes, one thing is maybe they, they might want to protect the child um, and so the child may not achieve their fullest potential but at the same time you have other parents who want too much and the child is unable to keep up like a child who's for example not able to go to a mainstream school but their parents insist that they do Hmm. and then this child ends up really struggling and and having so many issues and anxiety and so that's also not you know is not what's best for the child so yeah, as therapists, as clinicians, I think one of the most difficult things is sort of to communicate clearly with parents and to manage expectations. Um, I think that's sort of really important to do. It's probably important to address, I guess, the elephant in the room. Um, we tend to think of autism, uh, normally the image that comes up, we tend to think of children, but children mm-hmm. grow up. So the question is, what, what's available for adults with autism in, in Malaysia? We know that there are some parents who do try to start businesses with their kids. Yeah. Uh, others do other things. What, what do you know of? So um, it's actually sort of limited right now in Malaysia. I mean, there are opportunities, um, just not as much as we would like, I think. Um, so you have, of course, um, things like vocational training or um, what's called sheltered workshops. Mm-hmm where um, it's not just for autism, even um, and individuals with other disabilities as well. You know, you do things like baking, cooking, um, making crafts, and, you know, sometimes they sell these products. And recently I've seen, like, some organizations actually have um, e-commerce training as well mm. for um, individuals with autism to, to help brilliant. them sort of sell their products online. Mm. Yeah. So then another um, sort of option that we currently have in Malaysia as well is... Um, employment transition programs so these are basically programs for individuals with um, sort of mild autism or what you would call high functioning autism where they sort of train um, these adults to get placed at companies that um, embrace neurodiversity or you know uh, are inclusive and these are you know sort of white collar positions like um, as an administrative assistant and stuff like that so these are programs that help 
um, train those individuals and place them in work uh, workspaces, basically. Um, and then, yeah, so like you mentioned, you've also ha- uh, got parents who are a little bit more cautious, who are a bit, um, I wouldn't say scared, but a bit more um, concerned for the safety of their child and they want the best for their kids. So they decide that, you know, they want their child to either work in a current business that they have or they start up a business that's more suited for their child. So mm. it's sort of... So they start a business specifically for their child. Yeah, so basically to to give their child a meaningful life in a more sort of protected environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you have centers like ours who, you know, do one-to-one um, therapy for adults as well, where we work on things like independent skills, um, you know, things like chores and, and teaching them how to sort of be in the community and do their own groceries and stuff like that um, in a sort of one-to-one setting. And also things like learning how to regulate their emotions, um, you know, learning how to communicate clearly, even though you're an adult. I mean, yes, we work a lot on communication with kids, but also as adults, it's really important for them to be able to communicate clearly what they want. So, I think all of us have a problem with that, especially when people get on Malaysian roads, Mm. for example. You know, there's no regulation of emotions whatsoever. (laughs) Um, What are the biggest challenges for a family with an adult with autism? Um, So, there are quite a few challenges, I would say. Um, One of the biggest ones, as parents especially, I think, would be to determine the direction that you want to take. I mean, what's next? As your child is growing up, it's sort of your responsibility to decide what happens, right? So what path do I want my child to be on? What should my child do? I think that's the biggest question that um, most parents I've encountered have. Um, I think the next thing would be, of course, planning for the future, right? I mean, Mm. parents are also growing older. So you think about worst case scenario, what happens to my child after that, right? So that's, I think, a really big concern and a worry for parents as well. I mean, not all kids, I mean, not all parents have more than one child. Like you can't always rely on siblings to look after especially these child. So that's another big concern. Um, I think with adults also, it's really important to sort of, find a balance especially as an uh, as an adult with ASD so do you take into consideration what the child wants you know their personal choice versus what you think as a parent what's best for the child right so it's it's different when it's a child and you know it's your decision and what you say goes but as an adult you want to respect some of their choices as well even though they're on the spectrum they are still people with with preferences and choices so that's another thing um for adults as well i think privacy um for parents to sort of know that as although they're an adult with autism they still deserve privacy you know set personal boundaries um stuff like that is still a Mm. concern i think um and also i think like we talked about self-regulating emotions um you know seeing an adult having a meltdown in a supermarket, for example, is very different from seeing a child having a meltdown in a mm, supermarket. Yeah. So you get very different responses from the public. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as well. So uh, just tagging on one more t- to that then. Um, relationships. Is that a bit of a minefield when it comes to love on the spectrum? <laughs> as it were. Um, uh, on the spectrum? <laughs> uh-huh. 
you're talking about individuals on the spectrum finally. yes uh, love on the spectrum in terms of like you know from a family standpoint like is that a, a challenge that that has to be sort of you know managed um i think um i mean from experience i think in a Malaysian setting, it's not even a question because people just assume it's not going to happen. Mm. But um, I'm not sure if you've seen the show on Netflix. I think it's called Love on the Spectrum where in America, like a lot of high-functioning individuals um, or, or individuals with mild autism or Asperger's, like they are in relationships. They go on dates, they, you know. Mm. But I think in Asia or in Malaysia specifically, it's it's not something that's very common so it's it's not much i can say about it either <laughs> okay. Okay. um what has been your experience of uh, public misconceptions and and really what can malaysians do better when interacting with a person with uh, autism i think i think over the years it's sort of um gotten a little bit better i think in recent years more malaysians are a little bit more aware but we've still got a long way to go you know i think we need to sort of be first of all be empathetic and, and kind I think a lot of us sort of assume the worst in an unusual situation right mm. um, so there was this one time where I took one of my students out to sort of practice her um, grocery shopping in the community and she was unaware and accidentally rolled over someone's foot with mm. her shopping cart mm-hmm. right and this person was fuming mad and even after we explained that oh you know this is someone with special needs and we're sorry you know, they were still really upset mm. and angry about what had happened. So I think I think we should sort of be more understanding that that these individuals also need to be out in public. And yes, their needs are a little bit different, but I think we can do better to understand and to accept them a little bit more. Um, and, you know, if you see a child flapping or rocking or making loud sounds in public they're not doing it on purpose to annoy you you know they're Mm. sort of trying to regulate themselves in a difficult environment Mm. so i think yeah we have a long way to go in terms of being kinder and more understanding i think also being more patient i mean like for example if you're in a queue and you have someone with special needs in front of you they're gonna take a little bit longer because it takes you know time for them to to process in in a a longer time to process in a distracting environment right to yeah. be able to pay the right mm-hmm. amount and know what they need to do so i think you know being patient is also something the public can do a little bit more of like yes we are all in a hurry but it, you know waiting a few more seconds is is okay right so yeah um and i think another big thing would be you know if you see someone having a meltdown whether it's a child or an adult i think to give the family some space um is really important um, I think Malaysians have a tendency to just sort of stare or, or yeah. say things loudly and it's not very nice. Um, mm. it, the parents or the family is already in a difficult position, I think, to sort of give them some space. And then, I've, of course, I you know, I think some people want to help, but it's best to actually just sort of let the individual calm down a bit, let things settle down before you approach and ask if everything's okay. So, I mean, we don't expect the public to know exactly what to do, but I think to the first thing would be to not, you know, stare rudely or, or say rude things because this is an unexpected situation. Nobody uh-huh. expects to go out and have your child have a meltdown in supermarkets. So, yeah. um, like, like Asha said, anger management and regulating emotions is really hard for for people like us, can you imagine someone on the spectrum, right? So, yeah, I think like 
is a long way to go. <laughs> As someone on the spectrum, I agree. <laughs> um, what would be your final words to um, parents who've got autistic kids who are, you know, mid-teenagers going to heading towards adulthood? Like, what would be your one bit of advice or suggestion of what they should be thinking about for their young adults? Right. I think um, that's a really good question because don't wait for your child to be an adult before you sort of think about what you can do for the child or which direction the child should go in. I think, um, yeah, when they're teenagers is when you start thinking about what can I do? What do I want for my child? Um, you know, consider, of course, if your child is is able to manage academically, then, of course, the path is very different. But if your child is unable to go down that ac- academic path, then what's next, right? Like, do I want my child to work? If if I want my child to work, what kind of um, environment would that be at? I think it would be in. And I think, um, you know, to communicate with their um, service provider, if they're undergoing any kind of intervention to have sort of clear communication of, of what they um, prefer for their kids and also to take into account what the child is able to do. And I think that's the best way to sort of um, help the child achieve their full potential. And yes, it's scary, but um, you know, keeping the child at home and protected may not always be the best thing for the child.